0: If you look at the top of your handouts, you're going to see multiple passages that we're going to be considering, and we are going to be hitting every one of those. So if you can put a place marker so you can jump quick with me, that will be a help to you. Uh, we're going to be starting in Matthew's account in his gospel. At this point where we are in this ministry of Jesus, Jesus has been found innocent, right? He's done nothing wrong. They, there is nothing that is worthy of death. Pilate found this. Herod found this. There is nothing there. I would say really the Jewish leaders found that there is nothing worthy of death. If they had found something worthy of death, they would, have not, they would not have had to have hired false witnesses They would not have had to pay people to set him up. They wouldn't have had to go through all of these shenanigans to come up with a reason to have Jesus murdered. They know that Jesus is innocent, but but God, God worked it. And I don't understand this. God worked it so that the hatred of these Jewish leaders has overruled the clear truth. God allowed their sin to be victorious. This is their hour. God allowed this, and they now have have succeeded, if you will. They succeeded in having Jesus condemned to die on a cross as a sinner who is a totally righteous man. They've had their way with him. Now, I chose the title for this. I think in the journey to the cross, but. I chose that title, Trek to the Cross, because in a sense, Jesus' journey to the cross has been going on since the day He was born. Jesus' journey to the cross, it, it, it was known, eternity passed, this was coming. He, he knew this was going to be His glorification. This was his, his big moment. So this journey has been going on for eternity in a sense. But I chose this word trek. Trek means a long, arduous journey. And this passage, the passages that we're going to look at today are going to show us how, how difficult it was for Jesus to make this journey He did from the trials to the cross. That was a long, long, hard trek that our Lord had to make. And it wasn't just from the physical standpoint, the physical standpoint's there. But you think about what would have been going on in Jesus' mind as he's going to that cross. He knows exactly what's coming. He knows that that he is going to have my sin and your sin hurled at him, the He's going to take our sin on Him and the Father is going to hurl His punishment at Jesus. Jesus knows this is coming. He knows that for the first time in eternity and the only time in eternity, past and future, He knows that He and His Father are going to be separated because of the sin that Jesus is allowing to be put on Him. That had to be torture for Jesus. Just to think about it. Maybe you haven't been there. There are times I know something's coming and just thinking about it is worse than actually going through it. Jesus is anticipating all of this coming. But listen, listen. He didn't stop. He voluntarily kept going to that cross. He did this as a substitute for us these people who were beating on Him, the people who were lying about Him, He did it as a substitute for them. All they had to do was turn and put their trust in Him, become His follower, and they could take advantage of this substitutionary atonement that He's offering to them. Do you see the grace that's happening here? Our Lord is just totally Gracious. So often we picture the cross, and rightly so. Jesus said "You know, on this table, do this in remembrance of Me. We're to remember what He went through, but so often we remember the punishment and the shame and the mockery, and we don't remember the grace. He did this for us. And we need to think on that as we're going through these passages. Now today, we're going to see this treatment that occurs against Jesus. And he's just had the sentence of death handed down from Pilate. It's been given, and all of this treatment is going to occur from that point until he walks and makes it to Calvary. And that's the text we're going to look at today. So let's pray, and we'll look at our, at our text. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you're in control I thank You that You never, even going to the cross, You never were out of control. I thank You that You have the power to do whatever needs to be done to to accomplish Your will and to glorify Yourself. And Lord, I ask this morning that as we take this brief time to look in Your Word, God, would You please work in us, minister to us through Your Word in ways that only You can God, give the encouragement, the challenge to each person here. God, I ask that you would help me not to get in your way, help my words not to distract from what you desire to accomplish, help me to be free from error. God, I pray that in some way you would glorify yourself as a result of our time here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the trek to the cross. First point I want you to look at, the soldier's cruel treatment. The soldier's cruel treatment. We're going to be in Matthew 27 for this. Now, I mentioned last week, um, uh, believe the week before, it's possible there are two I can't say yes or no, um, but as we look at the passages, as we go through chronologically, it appears there could have been two different scourgings, two different sessions where the Roman soldiers were, were, were so cruel to him. It could have been there was one, and that the section we're looking at today just gives us a little bit of additional detail. Uh, either way, either way, we know he went through at least a scourging, one, at least. We know that he went through at least one major time of abuse by these Romans. So we're going to be looking at this, what could either be the second or a uh, more elaborate, detailed account of the scourging. So the first thing we see is the source of ridicule. The source of ridicule. Verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. So we have these soldiers. Uh, Now, with Roman soldiers... Not all of the soldiers who served Rome were Romans. What Rome would do a lot of times is, as they traveled, they would they would get uh, soldiers for hire. We call them mercenaries. These these are not kind people. These are guys who just are looking for a way to make some living, uh, a living to get out and and be brutal to people to do their thing. So these people were not all Romans, and they were not really kind-hearted people. We're told here that he they gathered the whole band. Do you remember when we looked at the group that went to get Jesus up in the garden? They took a band of soldiers. This is the same thing. That band is a cohort. That's about 600 men. And they took this whole group up to get our Lord. And at this point, I would say, of that 600 people, the ones who were on duty, the ones who were not off, were probably here showing up, taking part in what they would have called the fun time of abusing the prisoners. They enjoyed it. They got joy out of punishing the prisoners. Now, keep in mind what they would have been thinking. These guys don't know really anything about Jesus. And these are ones who I would call you know, ignorant sinners. They have no idea who Jesus is, what he is. They're not mixed into the Jewish culture to the point where they are hearing jesus teaching where they even care about jesus teaching they would see jesus as a very strange man they would see him as somebody who is pathetic here this guy is who's he's about to be murdered for these crimes that they're not really aware of their job is just to kill him and for them what the soldiers would do and their their mindset would be more like uh this guy is going to die anyways So why not just have fun with him and make it worse? Why not punish him? Why not just enjoy the cruelty that we can inflict on someone who has been doomed or damned, whichever word, he has been commissioned to die? That's their whole mindset. These guys, these soldiers, are cruel. Now, it's interesting, as we go through this, and I think you'll notice, there's not really that much said about the physical suffering of Jesus. There's not a lot of detail given. We know some things, and I've brought some of those up, of, of the torture that he would have gone through, but what we see most of all from the Bible is the shame, the mockery, yes, the abuse, the the, stain, the cruelty we see these things happening and it, that's where the focus has been as we look through scripture i think you'll see this now verses 28 and 29 we just read 28 but these verses are verses that would lead us to believe that this is simply a restatement of what happened and what has been dis- discussed already as far as the story has gone through because there, Jesus is coming out, He's got this, this robe again, the scarlet robe, but there's more added, and that's what we're going to see next. Look at their sarcastic worship, it's 29. And when He had, plaited, when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. Now that's the first time we have this brought up. They put a reed in His right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, "Hail, king of the jews so we see the crown of thorns again but now they add this reed i don't know what you think of when you think of a reed when i think of a reed, i think of when i would either go fishing or when i would go to a river and you have these reeds growing up out of the water and you can reach out and grab one it just pulls right up and if you hold it it falls over they're really flimsy things that's what i think of when i think of a reed this word for a reed here that's not the same thing this word is like it's more similar to bamboo now i don't know if you've heard of some of these eastern countries they still do this if there is a crime committed one of the punishments can be a bamboo beating and they'll put them on their stomach and they will lash their backs with these bamboo rods and they hurt they thick it would be like us having a really thick fishing rod and taking the base out of it and beating someone with that thick fishing rod this is the thing that they put into jesus hands they made it like his scepter and then they bowed down to him and he said hail king of the jews and they were just totally mocking him and you know, i don't know how you feel with this i mean when i that's one of the things that I don't enjoy. When people will mock me, when I say something, you just get the, you know, the little quips back at you. Those hurt. Those bug me. It's the kind of thing that makes you want to retaliate. But listen, that's what Jesus was getting, and you don't see one bit of retaliation from our Lord. You see Him not doing anything to go back at them. He let these people continue in their... their games he let them continue having their fun but but think of this these people who were mocking and bowing hell king of the jews one day they are going to bow to him one day every knee is going to bow to jesus for their sakes i hope they saw the truth and they bowed in this life because one day every one of those people who were mocking him will have to bow to him Now, it's easy to look at those people and say, yeah, they shouldn't be giving this sarcastic worship. Shame on them for giving sarcastic worship. Listen, the same thing happens today. Shame on us for giving sarcastic worship. So what is it? And listen, this is not just false religions that do this. This can be people in this room today that do this. Here's Here's what their sarcastic worship looks like. It's lip service. It's giving lip service to impress the people around us. I want to look like a good Christian. I want to look right. I want to to put my, my best foot forward and have everybody think that I've got my act together. And listen, we don't. You don't have your act together whether you think you do or not. We don't. When we give lip service, sometimes it's to make ourselves look good, sometimes it's just to soothe our conscience. I've got to get this Jesus thing out of the way for the week so I can make sure I'm, kind of good, I'm good with Him and I can go out and live my life the way I want to live it. That's lip service. That is sarcastic worship that is no better than these Roman soldiers gave to Jesus. See, when we, when we lead a double life, When we come and we say praise the Lord in here among Christians and then we go outside and we curse His name and we can do that just with our attitudes. When we are leading this double life, hear me, you're not worshiping Jesus. It's not happening. We are expected by our Lord to worship Him. Jesus expects it. Jesus deserves it. And that doesn't mean He deserves it on Sunday. Our Lord deserves it 24-7. And when we fail to do that, we are falling into this sarcastic worship category. And so I, I want would, to I would encourage us to do anything less than worshiping Jesus on a constant basis is to reject Him. When we are not worshiping Him, when we are not holding Him high, we're rejecting Him. And that's what we end up doing so often. We footflop flop back and forth, back and forth. Jesus deserves our constant following, our constant adoration. So let's not be guilty of this sarcastic worship. Then we go to the next point, the shameful attacks. The shameful attacks, verse 30. And they spit upon him. And they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. So they've torn his back to shreds by scourging him. Usually, again, with those, remember, you've got pieces of flesh hanging You've got flesh. You can see in sometimes to the bone. You can see internal organs. This That process tore him up. And now they go further and they start spitting on him. Is that not one of the most condescending things you can do to someone? No one's going to be happy in this room if you walk out and somebody spits at you. That's what they were doing on a regular basis to Jesus. Now, if you look, you don't need to turn there. Isaiah 50 says, I gave my back to the smiters. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Jesus allowed this to happen. Jesus allowed them to do this, this punishment to Him. And think of who he allowed to do it. Sinful creations of his did this to him. And he went through this punishment by these prideful men because of his love for his father and his love for you and me. He loves us. And that's why he allowed all of this to happen. Again, remember this. He was doing this to pay for the sins of the people who were punishing him. He paid for their sins. Just like he paid for ours. Listen, I said it before, this is grace. That's what our Lord is all about. If those people, those Romans who were punishing Him, had placed their trust in Him, they could have received that gift of salvation. The same way that you and I can receive that gift of salvation. But listen, when those Romans spurned Him, when they mocked Him, they sealed their their destination in hell. And that's the same thing that happens today as we reject Jesus. Our Lord is full of grace. And He was dying for those people. But then we're told, they spit on Him. They took that reed that He was holding. They said, this is your scepter. This is your royal, your royal scepter. They took that reed. And the tense of these words tells us this. They smote Him again and again and again on His head. Now, I've seen people take some head before. Playing ball, whatever it may be. And it doesn't take much before you're confused and you've got the concussion and your head splits. I mean, been there, done that one. Jesus, by the time they were done beating him, he probably had a concussion. He was probably cut all over his head. And keep in mind, he had a, crown of thorns on during this time. I'm trying to paint this picture for you and I hope you're getting it. This is brutal. Jesus took all of this on him and when they finished beating him, it's kind of like they said, okay, we've had enough of hitting on you. We've had enough of this cruelty. We've had enough of this. Let's just put, give us our robe back. We'll put yours back on you and we're going to take you away and crucify you. That's where Jesus is at this point. Listen, don't lose sight. Don't allow yourself to lose sight of what Jesus went through for you. Keep this in our minds. We need this. The physical pain was part of it, but this humiliation, this mockery, this hatred, and and all knowing, all the while knowing, he had the ability to say, enough's enough. You sinful people aren't doing this anymore. He could have put them in their place. But Yet He chose. He desired to go through all of this to show His love for His Father and to show His love through you, to you and me. He did this for us. So what difference does that make? Listen, if He did all of that for you, the only reasonable thing we can do is follow Him to be His. That's the only reasonable thing to do. We owe Him. Can I encourage you? Remember that? You owe Him dearly? Second thing, the struggle to the cross. The struggle to the cross. You don't need to turn to to John, but in John 19, 17, uh, John adds this one little phrase, and He, bearing His cross, went forth. That was common. The normal thing was that the victim, they would normally take just that, that cross member that they're going to be nailed to and they would, they would have to tote that thing to the cross on their own. Sometimes they would, they would hook the cross together and they would drag the whole thing. That wasn't normal. That wasn't the norm that they would do. Normally they just carried this, this heavy beam with them. Now, keep in mind Jesus' condition. He hasn't slept all night. He hasn't eaten. He's exhausted. He's been beaten. He's under a tremendous amount of stress. Can you imagine how hard it would be to pick up a beam and carry it? Even if you're healthy. And to have flesh hanging off of your back and the loss of blood? And Jesus is given this weight to carry, and he doesn't make it. He can't handle it physically. So the soldiers, what they do is they drag a guy out of the crowd, and he sa- they said, you're going to help him. You're going to carry this beam for him. And that's where we're going to start, point one. The stranger is introduced. Now, now in Mark's account. Mark, passage Jeddah, red Jedi, read Mark 15, verse 21. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country... Okay, get the picture there. This guy's going about his business coming to the feast. He sees this mess happening, stops and looks, and they drag him into it. That's, what's hap- that's the picture. Who passed by, coming out of the country, the father, father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. We'll stop there for a minute. So why make this introduction of this man? For me, it would be easier to say... The Romans saw that Jesus couldn't handle this. They grabbed the guy out of the crowd and made him carry it. Done. But they make Mark is making a very clear introduction. He's given us details. So let's look at the details. Simon, Jewish name. We know from history that he's... Well, here he's from Cyrene. In that area, there was a large population of Jews... And apparently he was one of those. Cyrene, by the way, uh, I had to look this up. My geography is horrible. You've got Israel up here. Then you've got North Africa coming up here. Egypt, and right next to Egypt is Libya. That, that's where Cyrene is. Roughly from Cyrene over to Egypt is four or 500 miles. This guy, Simon, was a devout Jew. He's coming for the Passover on a four to 500 mile trek so this guy is, is serious-minded. He wants to follow his, his religion. So he is serious about this. But notice what it says about him. This is, sounds kind of odd. Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why throw in Alexander and Rufus? Can you imagine this morning? If I came to you and I said, okay, we're talking about Brody, the father of Isabel and Abigail. I don't have to tell you who the girls are. You know them. You know who they are. They've been here. You know Brody because he's here. So we know people. He's saying, "Hey, this is the father of Alexander and Rufus. You already know these guys. I don't need to introduce them to you." This Simon was a known person among these early Christians. It's possible that Rufus is the one. Romans sixteen thirteen. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Paul was close enough to that Rufus in Romans 16 that he considered... Rufus' mom was like a mom to Paul. He knew this guy. Paul was that close to this family. This family had become leaders in the church. They had grown. I want to suggest to you that it's very possible that Simon, because of this encounter with Jesus, became a follower of Jesus. And we're told nothing about how the gospel got back to Cyrene. But in Acts 11:19 19, we read this. Now, they which were scattered abroad, the Jews going everywhere, which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, they traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. Next verse. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, their Simon's hometown, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. Somehow those Cyrenians heard about the Lord Jesus. Very possible it was from this encounter with a man who became a follower of Jesus. He went, he did his job. We're told in Acts 13.1 that Lucius of Cyrene, so there's that area again, He stayed there and was an elder in the church when Barnabas and Paul were commissioned. So as Paul was getting ready to do his journeys, someone was spiritually mature enough to have come from that area where Simon's from to come and help lead that church. This Simon had quite an impact on the early church. So here's the point. I'm sure, I'm relatively sure, that when Simon got drug out of this crowd, and told by some gruff Roman soldiers, you're going to carry that beam for this man. I don't think he would have been a happy camper about this. This is not something we'd say, you know, rah, rah, I want to go be treated like a slave. He went through a time that was probably confusing and hard, but listen, isn't our God powerful enough to work all things together for good? And did He not by the fact that we see Simon coming to be a follower of Jesus? Is that not good? Simon got to be right in the middle of watching God take something that seems extremely bad and turning it for His glory. And can I I suggest to you He does the same thing today? My flesh balks at hard times coming. I don't like going through it. I don't like having to be uncomfortable. But listen, God can work in our situations in ways that we cannot even imagine. So what we need to do is follow Him through these times. Stay with Him. Stop turning on Him. Stop rejecting Him. We need to stay true to our Lord. And listen, God can work. There can be some people you're working with. You want to see people come to Christ. I hope you do. If you don't, okay, side message. If you don't, if you're not interested in people you know coming to Christ, you've got a spiritual problem. You need to be excited about seeing people come to know Jesus. And if you don't have that excitement, you need to be on your knees begging God to give it back to you. Because that's, that's our job. That's our responsibility is to go and proclaim the Word of God. Okay, side message. Let's get back to this one. Um, What we need to do is we need to determine in our minds today. Just make up your mind, okay? Hear me. I am going to be faithful to my Lord no matter what comes down my pike. It doesn't matter how hard things get. It doesn't matter how much things just fly right in my face. It doesn't matter how much things are unknown. I am going to stay faithful to my God. And hear me, if you don't make that commitment now, don't expect you're going to make it later on. When everything flies at you, that's not the time that we normally... That's when the true colors come out. Make up your mind. Determine in your minds today that you're going to trust Him. Because hear me, He knows what He's doing. And He's good at it. And He's a good, faithful God. Jesus had everything under control at this point, and it hasn't changed to this day. He's still under control. Second thing, the silencing of the mourners. The silencing of the mourners. This one is over in Luke's account. Luke 23 we'll start with verse 27 Luke 23:27 And when as they led him away I'm sorry verse 27 and they followed they followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him but Jesus turning said to them daughters of Jerusalem weep not for me but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now my guess is that these people were not his, they were following the procession, but my guess is they were not his followers. They were not disciples. If you notice, he calls them daughters of Jerusalem. And I I don't, you don't read anywhere else in Scripture where he uses that term for people who are his followers. So I would suggest that they were, this is the traditional thing where the the women would follow along. And they were the professional mourners. They would cry. They would, they would, they would beat their chest. They would, they would show lamentation for these people who were going to die. It was a common thing that they did. But it's interesting. Jesus takes time here to give four sentences. Now You may say, oh, that's not much. That's, that's a lot. Time-wise, when you've got Romans snapping at your heels telling you, get to the cross, get to the cross, and they're sending him on his way, Jesus was able to stop. Take time to speak to these people, and there's no indication that the guards ever stopped him, that they did anything to interfere. And I I would just say this is just another indication that even in this difficult time, Jesus was not a victim. Jesus gave himself to this. He allowed this to happen. Jesus here is in total control. And what he tells them is this. Stop crying for me. I'm not the one you need to cry for. You need to cry for yourselves, and you need to cry for your kids. Now, you match this back up with the Jews. Remember earlier they said, his blood be on us and what? And our children. You better be crying for yourself and your kids because you guys are the ones who are going to be going through some really, really terrible times. And we're going to cover some of that. But here he I would say primarily he's referring to 8070, 70 when these people, some of them probably who were living here, were wiped out in Jerusalem. And it was an atrocious time. But that is just a foreshadowing of what's to come in the tribulation. It's going to get worse. And he's telling them, you need to be crying for yourself. Look in verse 29. For behold, here's some things you need to be concerned about, people. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps that never gave suck. So he's saying, okay, you're going to say that women are blessed if they've never had any kids. Now you may think, in our culture, what's the big deal with that? In that culture, this was huge. You, as a lady, were considered cursed by God himself if you were barren. If you were not able to have children, you had God's curse on you. This was a huge deal for them. You think back, remember Elizabeth? She was all concerned she was going to have John as a child. And you know what? That was a curse that was on her, and her curse was lifted. You look back in the Old Testament at Hannah, at Rachel, these ladies who they couldn't have kids, and they were in turmoil. People made fun of them for this. And Jesus, He's saying, no, 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 no. You're going to be considered the blessed ones because you don't have to have this this extra weight on you. You don't have to have these responsibilities on you. Things are going to get that bad that you're going to consider it a blessing that you don't have the kids to take care of. Then verse 30. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and the hills, cover us. That's, that, that's an allusion to Hosea 10 and verse 8. And, and the idea that Jesus is going back to there is you're going to wish that you were dead. You're going to want these mountains to crush you so that you can escape the hardships that you're going through. And then he gives them a, a proverb in verse 31. For if, you do, if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry. So the idea basically with that is Jesus is saying if they're going to do this in me, the living one, if they're going to if these people are going to come and allow this punishment, if God is going to allow punishment to be happening to his own son, what's going to happen to these who have rejected the son? What is God going to you know, God's not going to hold back on them. It's going to get worse. And they're going to it's going to be a tremendous persecution that they're going to go through. So maybe you're thinking, okay, this all all good for these Jews. We know it was bad for them. We know in that 80-70, that, that was a horrible siege. It was a horrible massacre. People are reported to have, it got to the point they were eating their own children. It was horrible what they were. This this area of time for that Jewish people was a bad thing, but how does that apply to you and me? If Jesus were to return and take away his church and you were left behind, you would be starting that same process. This is just a foreshadowing of the tribulation. People in the tribulation time will be wishing for their death. They'll be wishing things were ended because the persecution, not the persecution, the problems, the phenomena that are happening all around this world are going to be a horrible time. Point being, those Jews needed Jesus. People today need Jesus. There's no difference. This is what Jesus is telling them you need to be wanting to escape that tribulation. And the only way we can do it is to become followers of Jesus. That brings us to point three, the scene before the cross. The scene before the cross. So in these last verses, we see the picture just before Jesus is nailed to a cross. We're going to cover that in the next couple of weeks. But this picture is just before that happened. So the first thing, the setting of the crucifixion. The setting of the crucifixion, uh, same passage there with Luke, uh, Luke 23, verse 32. There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Two other criminals, the malefactors, those who have committed gross misdeeds. These were bad dudes, okay? They were just evil people. They had major problems, and this is... It's important because Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53, 12. This is exactly what was predicted. And and here's the point with this, though. Do you realize that both of those guys deserved what they got? Both of them were guilty. Both of them knew they were guilty. Both of them were caught. They deserved their punishment. But Jesus didn't. Jesus deserved nothing but glory. Jesus deserved worship... These guys, they deserved what they got. Now we know, and we'll see this again later, we know one of them turned to Christ. One of them, we would say, on his deathbed, a deathbed salvation, one of them turned to Christ and his eternity was changed. But can I suggest, that is not a smart way to go about life. I'll wait till I'm dead are about to die and then just before I die then I'll I'll ask God to save me. You do realize that nobody can come to the son unless the father draws him and when the father decides to stop that drawing process you're done. We need to respond while there's time. Behold today is that day. Today is the day of salvation. We need to understand We can't wait like this guy was waiting. These two are deserving of death. These two are guilty. But do you know who these two are just like? Us. We are deserving of death. If anybody gets the idea, I don't deserve hell, guess what? You're deceived. You deserve hell. You deserve death. We are just like these two people. Our eternity, just like these two, is totally determined by whether you receive or whether you reject Jesus. It is not your individual sins. It's not whether you live this wicked lifestyle while you're on this earth. It is what you do with Jesus. Your lifestyle gets changed by that. But those this, this, the individual sins are not what damns you to hell. It's whether or not we receive or reject Jesus. And, and, and again, just to be clear, I'm not saying it's whether you pray a prayer. I'm not saying whether you're religious, whether you're in a church. It's about following Jesus. And Jesus, what he demands is an all-in following. We would use the phrase today, it's an all-or-nothing proposition. Either you're a follower of Jesus or you're not. There is no part way. There is nothing that's in the middle. Either you're his follower or you're not his follower. Then we read in uh, Matthew's account, that they took him to the place called Golgotha. That is to say, the place of the skull. Luke calls it Calvary. That's the place they took him. That's the little hill, the mount they took him on. Then we go to the surrender. The surrender of Jesus. Verse number 34. That's in, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, 34. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. Uh, one of the other writers, I forgot which one, uh, mentions myrrh in that. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Okay, why does that matter? Here's what's happening. They come to him, and they say, here's this, this sour wine that we've got, and they're going to mix it with this stuff that ends up being like a narcotic, and it would uh, calm the person. Now, this was not, this was not the Romans saying, oh, these poor people, they're about to die. We're going to make it easy on them by drugging them up. This was to calm them down so they'd stop fighting so they could put the nails in them. And it wore off pretty quick. This was not to make things easier. This was so they would not fight. Jesus turned it away. Could Jesus have fought easily? Easily. Jesus voluntarily placed himself on this cross. He didn't have to have himself drugged so they could force it on him. Jesus allowed himself to be put on that cross. The whole time, and I hope you've seen this as we've gone through this, the whole time Jesus has been going, making this trek to the cross, the whole time he has been in total control. Nobody took Jesus' life. Jesus gave up His life voluntarily, and because He did that, He was also able three days on the third day after to take His life back voluntarily. Jesus had total control. And listen, if He had the power to do that, if He had the power to take His life back, you and I would be really wise to listen to what He has to say in His Word. You and I must become followers of Jesus. If you're not his follower, then literally there will be hell to pay. That's the, that's the punishment. He did this so that you and I can have the ability to be rescued from our sin, from the debt that we owe. He did all of this so that we can be rescued so that we can have a relationship with Him. I want to encourage you today. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Let's stand for a moment. If you're here today and you have never become a follower of Jesus, and I don't take it for granted that everyone has, if you've never become Jesus' follower, you are in the same position as those two thieves. You're condemned. You deserve the punishment you're going to get. You're heading to hell. That's where you're at. But Jesus died. He did all of this that we're looking at. You don't have to pay the price for your own sin. He took that price. And we can receive that gift of salvation by becoming His follower. That choice is yours. I encourage you. You need to choose wisely. I would love nothing more, if you are not sure of your salvation, I would love nothing more than to help you or to put you with somebody else who can help you. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Christian, we know what he did for us. We know the price that he paid. We know the sacrifice that he made. The only logical thing we can do is follow him. If we're not following him and giving our total allegiance to him, we are being illogical. We're, being, we're doing the sarcastic worship that we talked about earlier. We need to follow him. Listen, if anything is holding you back, if there's anything that seems more precious to you than following Jesus, I can tell you now, it's not worth it. It's not. Following Jesus is where you are going to get your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment, and yet we believe the lie of the world that something else will make me happy. It's short-lived, and it is ugly when it bites in the end. I encourage you. Jesus alone is worthy. So follow Him. Commit to Him. You do business with God. He the rest